Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, not everyone is hoping the Eagle Creek Storage Basin becomes part of the overall flood mitigation plan. Hancock United for a Better Blanchard Hub. The group representing the county's rural residents says their position on the project has been misrepresented. I'll join us to set the record straight. Also this morning, addressing the unique needs and perspectives of women in the military, the VA's One Step Today initiative for Mental Health Month includes resources specifically aimed at reaching female veterans and a challenge for young explorers to discover the wonders of the world all around them this summer with the just-released National Geographic Kids Almanac 2022. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, May 12, 2021. If you need a reason to celebrate today, there is always a reason to celebrate. Today is International Awareness Day. And I had to look this up because my first thought was international awareness. Be aware of what? What should we be aware of? Maybe they should tell us what we should be aware of. Otherwise, how can we be aware of it? It is also known as International Awareness Day for Chronic Immunological and Neurological Diseases. So they shorten it to National uh, International Awareness Day. It is observed on the anniversary of the birth of Florence Nightingale. Uh, it is also International Nurses Day for the same reason. So a big shout out to all of the nurses. Where would we be without them? Uh, where would we be without receptionists? International Receptionists Day today. It is Limerick Day. <laughs> tell a dirty limerick today. Shh, I didn't tell you to do that. National Nutty Fudge Day, National Odometer Day. Where would we be without the odometer? National Third Shift Workers Day. Big shout out to everybody who is getting off work at this hour while the rest of us are just getting up and heading off to work. Um, it is Donate a Day's Wages to Charity Day today. Interesting concept, something to think about making a donation to charity and it is world fm day today which initially i got pretty excited about you know fm but then i realized that uh, that stands for facility management so <laughs> has nothing to do with radio at all it is in uh, world facility management day so anyway uh let's see here going on some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories some of the first things you need to know this morning uh the uh, coronavirus uh, headline story of the day some people who are ready and eager to emerge into the sunlight again are discovering an uncomfortable fact they can no longer fit into any of their good clothes anymore <laughs> i think there is an inverse uh inverse correlation it is inversely proportional uh, to the amount of time you have spent working from home as to the likelihood of you being able to fit into your work clothes. The longer you've been at home, the less likely <laughs> you are to be able to fit into your good clothes now. According to the New York Times, uh, sales of diet plans and diet equipment, exercise equipment and such, are soaring. Weight Watchers enrollment has surged 16%. The company that sells Optiva, Opt, uh, Octavia meal plan uh, orders the healthy meal plan uh, delivery. They can't keep up with their orders on their most popular diet snacks. 
The Noom Diet app has become one of the most downloaded health apps, one of the most downloaded apps overall in the app store. And one industry group uh, is projecting a nearly 7% yearly growth rate in sales of exercise and fitness equipment through 2027. So they, they are anticipating it will take a while for us to shed all of the pounds that we have put on during lockdown and quarantines and all of that. that interesting. The few Americans who can still fit into their jeans are apparently headed for the nearest casino. This is kind of interesting. Casinos brought in $11 billion in the first quarter of this year as uh, states reopened. March was the highest grossing month ever for the gaming industry. The highest grossing month ever. Think about that. I mean, for years, the uh, gambling uh, numbers had been sort of on the decline. And this has been the first, they're the highest growing month, March, the highest grossing month ever. Um, that may not all be because of pent-up demand, however. Many of the casinos still have some capacity restrictions in place, which, think about that, they're the yeah, highest grossing month ever, and they still have restrictions in place, capacity restrictions in place. When they're fully reopened, how much money are they going to make? But again, it may not all because be because of uh, the uh, virus and pent-up demand and so on. The numbers do include profits from increasingly popular mobile gambling and the expansion of legalized sports wagering in many states. And uh, that is something, as you probably already know, a move that Ohio is considering as well. So kind of interesting data there. So this is uh, kind of an interesting uh, story. Facebook has a new way of battling misinformation on their platform. You know that this has been an ongoing thing, uh, battling misinformation on Facebook. Yesterday, no, I'm sorry, day before yesterday, Monday, Facebook announced it will start testing a new feature that will encourage users, give them a little nudge to actually read an article before they share it. <laughs> there's a wild idea you might actually want to read the article before you share it instead of a knee-jerk reaction based on the headline alone well how much fun is that they go there ruining all our fun again uh, if you try and share a news article link that you haven't actually opened facebook will show a prompt encouraging you to open it and read it first. Uh, it says, you're about to share this article without opening it. Sharing articles without reading them may mean missing key facts. Now, uh, that being said, you will still be able to share it by tapping on the continue sharing button. They're not going to force you to read the article. So you can still share it even if you haven't read it, but it will encourage you to read the article. Um, I actually, I mean, I know Facebook has has taken uh, a beating by some folks for their fact checking and for their uh, restrictions of uh, sharing and some of the things they've been doing to try to battle misinformation. I get it, 
but I think this actually is probably a good idea. I mean, you know, let's be honest, you really should read the article before you, you share it. So uh, that actually, I, I think, is a, uh, is a good idea. And a couple of uh, stories here that I think are really cool and will start your day with a smile. They say that age is just a number, that you're, you're only as old as you feel. And there may be some truth to that old saying. German researchers found that older people who felt younger had a greater sense of well-being, better cognitive function, less inflammation, lower risk of hospitalization, and lived longer lives overall. Scientists say it is indeed possible that feeling younger helps people avoid stress, which might help to better or, or to buffer functional health decline. It provides a buffer against the aging process. The protective effect, the researchers say, was strongest among the oldest participants, suggesting feeling younger than we actually are is most beneficial in old age. But feeling younger likely stops having a protective effect against stress if the gap between subjective and actual age becomes too wide. So if you're 80 and you feel like you're 20, that's probably not. But, you know, that 80 is the new 50 or whatever, or 50 is the new 30. Yeah, it actually is. It is thought that interventions to help people feel younger could reduce the harm caused by stress though further research is needed to determine the best way of doing that. But the long and short of it is that the old saying that age is just a number and you are as young as you feel or that you're only as old as you feel is actually correct. There is some truth to that. That may be the best news to hear this morning, you would think. But how about this story? I love this Speaking of age only being a number, a 101-year-old Auschwitz survivor is proclaiming himself the happiest man on earth. Speaking on the Today Show, Eddie Jaku, I think is how you pronounce it, J-A-K-U, Eddie Jaku, says, where there is life, there is hope. He is the author of the book, The Happiest Man on Earth. And he said in a TED Talk in 2019 that hate is a disease that will destroy you in the process. He tells people not to forget the atrocities of the Holocaust, but always choose happiness as life can be beautiful if you make it beautiful. 101-year-old survivor of Auschwitz, if there is anyone who is entitled to feel very cynical about humanity, this would be the guy. He proclaims himself to be the happiest man on earth. And let me repeat that quote. Life can be beautiful if you make it beautiful. I love it. Eddie, you are my hero. There you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly sunny today with a high around 60, mostly clear tonight, a low around 40. 
The family of a BGSU student who died while pledging a fraternity is filing a wrongful death lawsuit against the fraternity and some of its members. 20-year-old Stone Fultz was reportedly ordered to drink alcohol at an off-campus event hosted by Pi Kappa Alpha in March. Fultz later died in an area hospital where his blood alcohol level was found to be five times the legal limit. The lawsuit names the fraternity and 20 individuals allegedly involved in the hazing incident. Get more on our website. Habitat for Humanity of Finley-Hancock County recently held a Raise the Wall ceremony for its spring builds. Habitat says it couldn't be done without the many volunteers. More than 750 volunteers. So I always pause at that one because it's amazing to me that people show up in our community. They don't just talk about it, but they show up. 750 volunteers. The Raise the Wall ceremony marks the beginning of construction on builds number 46 and 47 at 2032 Harrison Street in Findlay. Get more on our website. A new bill signed by the governor makes more help available for those struggling to make ends meet because of the COVID pandemic. Governor Mike DeWine just signed House Bill 167. It provides funding for rental and utility assistance for low-income households that have been impacted by the pandemic. That assistance includes rent, electric, gas, trash, and even internet. The goal of this bill is to invest really in Ohio's people, into our businesses and our communities, so our state and our people emerge even stronger from the COVID-19 pandemic. Local community action agencies will work with families to get that assistance. The state of Ohio will be restoring a job search requirement for people receiving unemployment benefits. That requirement was removed during the pandemic. Now the Department of Job and Family Services says people need to start searching for work the week of May 23rd. Activities that qualify include applying for a job, attending a resume writing class, and maintaining a reemployment plan through Ohio Means Jobs. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Our cover story this morning, as we mentioned, not everyone is necessarily hoping the Eagle Creek Storage Basin becomes part of the overall flood mitigation plan. The Conservancy Court last week tabled the request to... Uh, officially, formally move forward with that plan. And Hancock United for a Better Blanchard or Hub, that is the group representing the county's rural residents, uh, submitted a letter to the court uh, suggesting that uh, they not move forward uh, with that uh, project. And uh, they say that their position uh, on the issue has been misrepresented. Joining us this morning to uh, help set the record straight and talk about their uh, feelings and attitudes uh, toward this project is uh, Gary Wilson. He is one of the key members uh, of Hub. And uh, Gary, thanks for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it, first of all. You're welcome. The the fact that the Conservancy Court... Uh, set this aside, tabled this uh, to get more community input. Do you take that action as a victory? Well, um, it still promotes uh, what this group has always been for. Uh, They have always uh, favored projects that are not invasive to county property and projects. Mm -hmm. And the basin, like the diversion channel uh, before that, uh, was very invasive. Uh, to county properties and so forth. And uh, they have always been on the stance that if we do something for flooding, uh, do it on the river because it's going to work every time. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just 15% of the watershed, which Eagle Creek is, uh, 
um, is where this basin will be at. Uh, so just like they were against the diversion channel for the same reasons, they're against this basin. Now, you, along with Mr. Kramer, uh, submitted a letter to the Conservancy Court or specifically to Judge Routson in his capacity on the Conservancy Court, uh, which uh, said, among other things, and I thought this was one of the most interesting uh, parts of that letter, uh, that your position, that Hub's position uh, on the uh, basin had been misrepresented. In what way? Well, uh, some of the articles in the Courier and other reports um, as they spoke of Hub, uh, seemed to speak of Hub in favor of this basin. Um, and at the very beginning, uh, the members of Hub took a vote, um, and they voted against uh, supporting this basin, just like they voted against supporting the diversion channel. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had met with the Solutions Group and other folks um, looking at various alternatives. One of the things that we've always been in favor of is benching. So when they did the benching, for instance, west of Main Street, uh, we were in favor of that and always in favor of any other benching along the river. Uh, And when it comes to taking property and other means to try to do this, uh, we've always been against those kinds of projects. Part of I, I wonder if part of the uh, misrepresenting uh, misrepresentation that you refer to uh, leads from a, a an assumption that uh, that the feeling on the basin had changed based on the fact that about half the land needed for the basin has already been sold for the purpose of construction uh, of that basin. Does that contribute to some of that? I mean, if if the uh, landowner is selling uh, the the land for that purpose, isn't that a tacit approval? Well, uh, that certainly uh, really pushed it along the way. And uh, once they have purchased this land, which they have uh, most of the land, I mean, it was very, very hard to fight against. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does not take away the fact that we were still against it. And and that really wasn't being represented very well. I mean, it seemed to be represented that everybody was lining up in favor of this project. And so we just wanted the Judge Routson to know uh, that Hub is not in favor of this. And that's why we sent the letter to bring him up to date. And that's why the motion was made to lay it on the table, uh, just to try to get more information and to get more people to Uh, jump in on this topic to provide information. And uh, that uh, public meeting for further comment is uh, forthcoming. I understand it will probably be sometime uh, in the summer, maybe June or July, and we'll learn more about that uh, when we get a little bit closer, I suppose. Um, You talk about, and and this is a conversation that we have had on this program, actually, uh, in the past. Uh, Obviously, uh, rural interests are concerned about uh, you know, all types of, of projects gobbling up farmland, whether that's urban sprawl sure. or for new highways, sure. uh, housing developments, uh, whatever it might happen to be. Um, but if you drive out to the area where the uh, basin would be, uh, even this week, it's flooded. Uh, you know, there's water out there sure. right now. So is is this particular a spot of land really good for anything else? I mean, can it be productive farmland when it uh, floods constantly? Well, it is productive farmland. Uh, 
you know, we had uh, many areas had over two inches of rain on Sunday. So I assure you, even there at the southern end of the county, there was a lot of water standing in fields. There's water across roads and everywhere else. So uh, when you have a big rain like that, there's going to be a lot of water standing in fields. But many farmers have put drainage pile in, and, and right now, that water is off the fields uh, towards the goal of trying to get dried up again. The farmers can get back on the land. Uh, that land was productively farmed. Um, and, of course, with the basin, they're not going to be able to do that. Sure. Um I, I also want to give you a chance to kind of expl- further explain uh, the uh, point that you made a little bit earlier, and you also made this point in the uh, letter to the Conservancy Court that Eagle Creek only handles about fifteen percent of the water uh, in the, uh, the in the watershed, uh, as opposed to yep. the river. And as you were yep. uh, alluding to, you support uh, projects that will. Uh, have an, a positive impact on flooding every single time. And by uh, your logic, the the 15% that the Eagle Creek uh, carries uh, wouldn't be a uh, wouldn't be something that would help all the time. But I, I'm I'm wondering if that is not necessarily a, a, a correct interpretation of that statistic. I mean, I would, I, I would think my dishwasher, for example, uses maybe 15% of the water in my home, but it all contributes to my overall water bill every month. You know what I mean? Right. Sure. So, well, um, we need to go back to Stantec, whose organization is still working with this project. Um, I've actually got in front of me uh, the proof of concept paper in April 2017, mm-hmm. and one of the main reasons uh, that they got the whole idea of the diversion channel to be dropped is because Eagle Creek is only 15% of the water set shed. So uh, that same reasoning was really used uh, back then in 2017 uh, to take away the whole idea of trying to create uh, that nine-mile diversion channel. That was proposed by the Army Corps of Engineers a number of years ago. So, uh, in other words, basically, uh, your uh, thought process is very minimal projects involving uh, Eagle Creek would be appropriate. Well, any project that you can do always helps. But when you make the main thrust, uh, the, the main source of all the money to go only, only go okay. in, to 15% of the watershed. We think that if you work with the river, uh, it would work all the time, um, every time. Uh, because if the rainfall varies, if the eastern side of the county would get two or three inches mm-hmm. than the southern end of the county, um, that basin would not be near as effective if, okay. if there is something else along the river take care of all that extra water a fair point and we will leave it there again uh, gary wilson one of the uh, members of hancock united for a better blanchard hub the group representing the county's rural residents uh which is not in favor of moving forward with the eagle creek storage basin Uh, again this is not the last time i'm sure that we will uh, talk about this issue but gary we appreciate you taking the time this morning well you're most welcome chris glad to be here
Well, you remember yesterday on the program, we introduced you to the VA's One Step Today initiative for Mental Health Month in May. And this morning, we want to highlight the resources available specifically for female veterans. Women make up a smaller but steadily growing segment of the military population, and many of them, too, of course, deal with these same issues in their post-military careers. So joined this morning by Dr. Jennifer Strauss, uh, manager of the Women's Mental Health Program at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and Dr. Laura Miller, Medical Director of Reproductive Mental Health for the Veterans Health Administration. And in what ways, and I'll kind of throw this out for um, either or both of you, in what ways are mental health care needs for female veterans different than their male counterparts? Yeah, hi, this is Dr. Strauss. I can get us started. I mean, of course, there's a lot that's the same uh, between men and women and male and female veterans. Uh, But I think there are Kind of two different ways that um, that are worth mentioning. One has to do with just uh, life experience, uh, life events. Uh, so, for example, women are more likely, and women veterans in particular, to experience some traumatic events like um, sexual assault, intimate partner violence. Uh, that we know are associated with a relatively high risk of developing mental health problems. Mm. So, so, so one piece of it is is that traumatic exposure uh, risk. The another type of experience where you see gender differences is in just sort of day to day stresses. Um, so it's kind of like you know death by a thousand cuts. The you know, women and women veterans are more likely to be carrying a lot on their shoulders. They are more likely to be. Um, doing the majority of the household tasks, uh, most of the caregiving and child care, uh, dealing with financial uh, issues. So cumulatively over time, even, you know, even these smaller kinds of stresses and strains take a toll uh, and I think can, can sap people of their of the resources that they need to refill their own tanks um, and take care of themselves. So that's that's the sort of you know life experience kind of piece. Yeah. The other piece that's worth mentioning is biological. Men and women are built differently, and there are some mental health issues that are really specific to women. Uh, women have menstrual cycles, so we see mood changes around uh, menstrual cycles. We see uh, risk for, for, for mental health problems during and, and after pregnancy, uh, during the menopause transition. So, so it's, you know, this is lived experience piece, but then there's also mm-hmm. just the biology that, that, that differs. Yeah. So, uh, in other words, in some cases, it's the same, only different. By that, I mean there are different ways of dealing with the same issues that men face. And in other cases, there are mental health challenges that are unique to women in particular. So, how does the One Step Today campaign then encourage women veterans to take care of their mental health? Um, It's a really key question because um, women veterans, like other people, if they are faced with mental health challenges, might feel really overwhelmed and burdened and just not even know where to begin. It, It feels sort of hopeless at first. The One Step Today campaign gives women all the resources that they need to figure out just one step that they can start with. Um, so it won't feel so overwhelming, something they can do today. And since not one size fits all, 
Um, there are many different types of steps that are suggested by other veterans who have been through similar problems and have found what works for them. And there are many, many videos that um, women veterans can watch and connect with so that they can find other veterans whose stories feel similar to theirs and that they can feel inspired to take that first step. Now, as we mentioned yesterday, the uh, One Step Today initiative is part of the uh, larger collection of resources uh, under the Make the Connection uh, program. Talk a little bit about and expand a little bit on the VA mental health resources that are designed specifically for women veterans. I'd love to because uh, they're because that's an area where I think VA has just grown leaps and bounds. Um, you know, of course, we have a full continuum of mental health services for all veterans uh, and opportunities there to do offer women's only services or services for the types of, of conditions that we see uh, more often in women, like eating disorders. But um, we, we've been able to, in recent years, stand up, I think, some really important resources that really are tailored for women. Uh, and I'll talk about two. First is uh, Women's Mental Health Champions. So a Women's Mental Health Champion is a mental health clinician who has taken advanced training in women's mental health. They have a professional interest in working with women. Uh, and every VA medical center has at least one Women's Mental Health Champion at their facility. That person is a local point of contact for women's mental health. And their role is to, you know, A, be plugged in to local needs, but then uh, also work within that facility to grow and develop women's mental health resources. So that's kind of a local, you know, a, a local resource. Mm-hmm. We've also developed more more national resources. And the one that I'd like to talk about is our reproductive mental health consultation program. So what are the things that divide, you know, risks for mental health problems or, or the way they present within men and women is biology. Uh, we're made differently. Uh, and so there are issues around reproductive cycles that occur only for women. Um, mood disorders around menstrual cycles, um, mental health problems during and after pregnancy, uh, the, the menopause transition. So there, there's a host of issues that really are specific to women, and they can be very complex, um, particularly when other other issues are are, are part of the picture. Mm-hmm. And we've com- we've put together a team of like true national experts that will provide consultation to any VA clinician uh, around working with the women with these sorts of problems. So what that means is they're now local points of contact, but also these kind of really rare, frankly, um, national resources, which means that no matter where a woman's getting care, she has access to expert treatment. Again, Dr. Jennifer Strauss is manager of the Women's Mental Health Program at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Dr. Laura Miller, medical director of reproductive mental health for the Veterans Health Administration, talking about resources that are available specifically uh, for women and and geared toward women in the uh, mental health space for Mental Health Month in May through the VA. Uh, Mention the website where uh, folks can get more information specifically on these resources. That website is maketheconnection.net. So that's maketheconnection, all as one word, dot net.
Ladies, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And now to our Keeping the Faith series this morning. Today's world can certainly be overwhelming for all of us. I mean, you think of all of the things that have happened, especially over the past year. It is overwhelming, to be sure. But that is especially true for children. According to the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, All children experience some anxiety in the form of separation anxiety, perhaps social anxiety, phobias, whatever it might happen to be, but all children experience some form of anxiety. And now a new book teaches children from a biblical perspective how to deal with those emotions. Maybe, just maybe, it's something we can all, a lesson we can all take away from this book. It is called, What Do I Do With Worry? Correspondent John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith. This latest book, What Do I Do with Worry, is a follow-up one Dr. Joshua Straub wrote with his wife, Christy, that was entitled, What Am I Feeling? This book is through the eyes of a young girl named Willow, who worries about moving into a new house in a different neighborhood. While she's moving into the new neighborhood, while she's moving into a new house, she's approached by this little boy named Sam. And Sam's having a birthday party the next day, and he invites her. And, and so she retreats, and it has this sullen look on her face as her grandma approaches her. And her what-ifs are starting to go throughout her brain. You know, what if his friends don't like me? What if I wear the wrong clothes? You know, it, it's these little what-ifs that a lot of kids have, from the big ones to the little ones, all the way down to, what if I take them to the wrong birthday present? Dr. Joshua Straub also tells us kids sense the world around them, leading them to worry. Our kids have all kinds of worries. Um, they, they certainly have the uh, boogeyman under the bed worries, but especially living in the culture that we live in uh, with a pandemic and kids pulling out of school and now, you know, schooling from home and that kind of thing has really um, influenced the way that our kids see the world around them. Recent events around the world have given our children a deeper sense of worries that we never had growing up. You have kids that had everyday routines, uh, normal everyday routines, being in school, now all of a sudden pulled out of school. Their parents uh, may be losing jobs. Uh, Money might not be coming in the same that it was for them. And so we see a lot more, uh, especially things going on in the world around us, a lot deeper worries than a lot of us grew up with as kids. Dr. Straub and his wife, Christy, also work with families with a Joint Special Operations Military Command. Many of these children have an additional set of worries. Especially, too, when you face the very real threat that, you know, a parent might leave and not come back is, is a very different conversation for a military child than it is for a child who's whose parents uh, don't face those same kind of threats. What do I do with worry makes the point that worry is a part of life. Really, what this is about is it's about managing emotion well and managing worry well. And so it's the same for all of us. We will not live without worry. It's it's, it's impossible to live a worry-free life. You can learn to manage worry, then teach your children. The goal is learning how to manage that worry and to manage it in the moment so that over time, 
you can live and our children can live in such a way that they're entering into the world more brave facing situations in their lives. Dr. Joshua Straub often uses a technique that opens a line of communication with children. Children don't have the capacity to put language to what it is that they're feeling and drawing or coloring or that type of thing or, or making a sculpture of some kind out of blocks is a very powerful way to get your children to talk about what they're feeling, what they're experiencing and, and what's going on in their little minds, you know, what's going on in their little hearts in the world around them as they describe their picture or their sculpture or whatever it is that they're building to their parents. All the work done is Christ-centered. It's very hard to not talk about him and how he has changed our lives and how we relate to other people. But I also love to study research. I love studying the, the seminal researchers out there who talk about relationships, how we, how we have a healthy marriage, how we relate to our kids well. And so much of what we see in the research is what the Bible has been teaching us for you know centuries about how to relate to people. And so we love taking a both-and approach. Straub writes in What Do I Do With Worry for parents to practice making a gratitude list. Our brains don't have the capacity to hold worry when we're, when we're grateful. So even Paul, when he says, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. There's a very neurobiological component to waking up with gratitude, that when we wake up and we're thankful for what we have, for whatever it is that we're thankful for, to make a gratitude list pushes out worry from our brain. Here's how to get more information about their published works and about their podcast, Famous at Home. Yeah, so you can find out uh, more information at famousathome.com uh, about our new worry book called What Do I Do With Worry uh, for Kids. We also have another children's book called uh, What Am I Feeling with a pull out feelings chart in the back. And you can obviously go to our Famous at Home podcast and, and other resources that we have at famousathome.com. This is John Clemens reporting. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update to the odd and unusual side of the news. Uh, <laughs> odd and unusual side of the news. <clears throat> and enunciate pro uh, properly <clears throat> and professionally. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. This is a crazy story uh, in Los Angeles. Police released surveillance images of a suspect uh, that um, had been uh, accused of several uh, break-ins, bank robberies, um, uh, 30, oh, no, here it is, 30 home burglaries, more than 30 home burglaries in Southern California be uh, beginning last April. So they've been having trouble catching uh, this guy, even though... It appeared they had a pretty good look at his face on surveillance images. So they re released those images and they noticed something interesting. The burglar's mouth always seemed to be open when seen on video surveillance. He always had an open mouth. They eventually caught him. And what they found out, and this is what makes the story crazy, they found out the uh, they discovered what the the reason what Rakim Prowl, age thirty, is black. He was allegedly wearing a Halloween like latex rubber mask that made him look like a white person. 
<laughs> he was wearing one of those. You see him in Halloween, those full uh, rubber masks. So he looked white, even though he's black. Now that is a disguise. And uh, again, 30 home burglaries beginning last April over the course of more than a year finally caught earlier this month when he was pulled over in Beverly Hills and police found the mask and other items that connected him to several break-ins last year. And he was arrested on uh, charged with two counts of burglary, two counts of grand theft, and one count of vandalism. But, wow, that is just a crazy story. Talk about a uh, great disguise. Well, I mean, it wasn't too great. They eventually caught him, but it took a long time. Elsewhere in the broken news, a Florida man is facing several charges following a DUI arrest earlier this week. Collier County Sheriff's Office says 48-year-old Marty Martinez was found sleeping behind the wheel of a pickup truck along the interstate. (laughs) That's rather suspicious. Officers say he reeked of alcohol, had a white substance on his nose, slurred his speech, and couldn't focus. Needless to say, he failed several field sobriety tests. This is where it gets weird. He was taken to the police car where deputies say they saw Mr. Martinez shove baggies of what they believe to be cocaine up his backside. (laughs) Wow. That's uh, one way to hide him, I suppose. A body cavity search at the Naples Jail Center later revealed the baggies. He has been charged with DUI, possession of cocaine, and... Just for good measure, evidence tampering. That's probably because of where he stuck them when he tried to hide them. (laughs) Evidence tampering. Just throw that in there as well. (laughs) Uh, A Milwaukee bakery is taking crime fighting into their own hands after their store was robbed. Last month, a thief robbed the Bayview Area Bakery of some cash and equipment, so to catch the perp who made off with the dough, (laughs) no pun intended, they put his face on some dough. In a Facebook post, the bakery announced that they had put an image of the suspect taken from a security camera on some delicious sugar cookies, (laughs) which they handed out basically edible wanted flyers. (laughs) Now that's a way to get... The public's attention. They uh, said in the post, we invite the Bayview community to come on in and take a bite out of the thief while supplies last one per family. And if you recognize the man, please call the Milwaukee PD. And it seems the tasty approach to finding the suspect paid off because the bakery gave an update later in the comments saying he has been identified. Thank you to all who responded. (laughs) So it worked. I don't know if he's in custody yet, but they know who he is. I love it. That's a clever and uh, effective way to get the word out there. I'm not sure I believe this. This is uh, the latest viral internet sensation story. A woman in Brisbane, Australia, claims that she recently woke up after surgery with an Irish accent. Didn't have one before surgery, but she does supposedly now. Angie Yen says on April 28th, she got in the shower and started singing. She was shocked to say that, uh, to find that she heard herself using a foreign accent that sounds very Irish. She called a friend who sent her YouTube videos about something called foreign ac- accent syndrome. 
Uh, and it, since it can sometimes be caused by the onset of a stroke, she went to the hospital that day. She was discharged, though, and told to go home and rest. Turns out that she had her tonsils removed earlier in the month, and her doctor advised her to see if her accent change disappeared on its own. It says here, two days after waking up with the accent, Ms. Yen decided to share her experience on TikTok. Do you, are you buying it? She had her tonsils removed, and it changed her accent. I'm not buying it. I think the whole thing is a hoax. But that's the story. And lastly, in the broken news this morning, this is very weird. A NASA spacecraft is detecting an unidentified hum coming from interstellar space more than 14 billion miles from Earth. It says the faint but constant humming sound was detected by the Voyager 1 spacecraft. After four decades of traveling into deep space, Voyager 1 is the most distant human-made object in space. One scientist, and it's detecting an unidentified hum coming from deep space 14 billion miles from Earth. One scientist says the discovery is a never-before-seen glimpse of the interstellar environment. Scientists say the data recovered would help better understand the mysterious environment beyond our solar system. Isn't this how just about every alien movie started? <laughs> I mean, this is a War of the Worlds kind of thing. And it is happening in real life now. Not that you should panic yet. <clears throat> there you go. That is uh, today's broken news update. Brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM, online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now, time for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives, and a lot of numbers here in this one, but really interesting stuff, so kind of bear with me here, because the global pandemic, according to a new study by Oracle, the global pandemic has changed our personalities, this is a, a survey of 2,000 adult uh, consumers in the U.S. have found that the circumstances created by COVID-19 have made many, people, made, made many people feel smarter and open to new experiences, but also more conscientious and disconnected from their personal relationships. A majority of the respondents in the survey, 86%, say they saw a change in at least one of the five major personality traits due to COVID-19. 86% said their personality changed because of the pandemic. Becoming more conscientious uh, and open to new experiences at 40% and 38% respectively were the most common personality changes. Despite the stresses of the moment, one-third, 33% of people, reported increased agreeableness during the global pandemic, which... Maybe it was a bit un unexpected. Uh, not what you would think to find in the uh, results. 70% of Americans 
say they have read more and learned more during the pandemic and thus feel smarter, 70%. By comparison, only 30% say that the chaos of the pandemic distracted them from continuing to learn new things. A majority, uh, 58%, say they spent more time on social media and streaming media. No big surprise there. Only 20% said that during the pandemic they spent more time watching traditional television. Hmm. So we were not just sitting in front of the TV. We were, on the other hand, sitting in front of the computer or spending more time on our smartphones. Uh, 70% started at least one trendy hobby um, with the three most common hobbies people started being at-home workouts, 46%. 27% say they started baking, baking bread. That was, that was hot for a while. I remember when everybody was doing that? Making whipped coffee, 23% said they learned how to do that. And 21% started filming TikTok videos. <laughs> so one one in four one in five somewhere in there uh started making videos and i guess tried to become an internet celebrity and while some people binge shopped and did uh, accrue more belongings during the uh, pandemic 32 percent said that they did that nearly one in three 30 percent of individuals say they decreased the amount of personal belongings during the pandemic. We used the time to clear out old stuff. More than one quarter of Americans, 27%, changed their relationship status during the pandemic. The most common relationship change was a breakup or divorce, 19%. Only 9% got engaged or married over the past year. 34% of Americans who report their relationships with friends became less connected compared to 15% who became closer with their friends. More than half of Americans, 52%, said they made no new friends over the past year. And finally, from this survey, more than 70% of Americans say their relationships with family changed. 70% said relationships with family changed. 22% felt less connected from their family, but 30% believe the pandemic actually brought their family closer together. So some good news and some bad news in there, but it is all interesting relating to how the pandemic has changed us over the past year. The latest edition of the New York Times bestselling National Geographic Kids Almanac is out, featuring amazing animal stories, incredible inventions, awesome games, and fresh challenges for curious kids who want to learn all about the world and everything in it. And joining us is one of the featured explorers in the Almanac 2022, Brian Scary, who you may recognize as the man behind the amazing Disney Plus limited series Secrets of the Whales. And Brian, like we said, the Almanac touches on just about every aspect of our planet, but in particular, your specialty is ocean exploration. What is the number one thing that you hope kids will take away from that section in particular of the Almanac? 
Well, thanks, Chris. And uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, the Almanac, of course, is this compilation of so many cool things about animals and science, technology, history. Uh, but yeah, my wheelhouse is the ocean. And I guess, you know, being near and dear to the ocean or near and dear to my heart, I would say that I hope kids take away the fact that, you know, we live on this amazing planet, that everything is connected, that uh, every giant whale needs tiny little creatures to live, and that a coral reef needs seagrass beds and mangroves to live as well, and that, you know, we, we don't live in silos, that everything is connected, and that humans are very much connected to the sea as well, even though we are terrestrial creatures. We mentioned uh, Secrets of the Whales, which I know has been incredibly popular on Disney+, Plus for uh, any kids who uh, may have seen that. This is a, a, nec- uh, a great next step to kind of introduce them to this, and, and a lot of the uh, research uh, that, as a featured explorer, talks about uh, many of the uh, explorations and such that you have done. Other than whales, what has been your favorite uh, ocean creature to study? Mm, yeah, it's such a tough one. You know, whatever I'm photographing at that moment is it's always my favorite. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, throughout my career, I, I've been exploring the oceans for over four decades. And um, sharks have certainly been a big part of that. I, I saw my first shark underwater in 1982. And uh, I was hooked, no pun intended, and um, became fascinated with sharks as a photo subject. Initially, just because, you know, they, they sort of blend grace and power very beautifully. They move elegantly through the water, yet they exude this great confidence. And as a photo subject, they're very symmetrical and, and you know, never tire of making pictures of sharks. But, but also, as I learned more about sharks uh, through my work, I realized that they were in peril, that, you know, we're killing more than 100 million of them every year in Earth's oceans, and that we can't do that if we want a healthy ocean, a healthy planet. So a big part of my my work with sharks has also been to give them a little bit of a makeover to show their magnificence and hopefully get people to to, to see them in a new light. You know, it's interesting whether we're talking about sharks or whales or really just about any creatures of the sea. Generally, they are known to be rather elusive. I mean, for the reputation that sharks especially have uh, as, you know, attacking humans, we hear those stories in the news. For the most part, most underwater creatures... Uh, uh, avoid humans as, as possible. How challenging is it to really uh, get to study these creatures, find them and study them like you do? Well, that's such an excellent question. And it, it gets to the heart of, of what I do. And, and even with sharks, I think contrary to popular belief that when a diver goes in the water, uh, it's very rare to see a shark. It's not something that we see often or commonly and you know somebody like myself over decades trying to photograph sharks i have to spend a great deal of time and effort to do this when i see a shark underwater I need to get very close to make a good underwater picture. I can't use a telephoto lens, yeah. even in the clearest of water. I have to get within a few feet of them. And, and that's a challenge. You know, most people would think, you know, oh, they're going to attack you and bite you. And, and that's not at all my experience. Uh, so it's very challenging to study animals in the ocean. I mean, there's all these things that we have to contend with. You know, we have to deal with weather. If the weather's bad, we can't get on a boat and go out to sea. The visibility could be bad. The animals aren't there, or as we just said they're indifferent to you they swim the other direction yeah you know there's no point in chasing after an animal so ocean science or photography is is a real challenge because of those things have you i want to ask you this uh obviously uh with the sharks with the whales being the size that they are but really just about 
everything under the sea is frightening in one way or the other, potentially dangerous in, in one way or the other. Have you ever been uh, truly scared? I, I have been scared a, a few times, but I would give it context by saying that whenever I go into the ocean, I am very aware that I am in an alien environment, that, yeah. you know, that I, I need life support equipment to, to even function there. But having done it for, for so long, I'm very comfortable in the water, but I never get cavalier. I never let my guard down. I, I prepare. I make sure my equipment is in good working order. I usually have a buddy with me, of course, and we, you know, we work together. So you're very aware of that. That being said, with most animals, no, I, I don't find it threatening or dangerous, um, but there have been a few times, you know, when we talk about sharks, I've made many hundreds, if not thousands of dives with sharks, and out of those thousands of times, there have been maybe three or four times where I felt it was getting a little bit too dicey and, and felt the need to get out of the water. Mm. Uh, you could read the animal's behavior. They were agitated. They were not behaving, you know, calmly, and you just get out. I mean, it's like going into yeah. a neighbor's yard uh, and seeing a dog that just you know, gives you a vibe. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think you just pay attention to those. Things. That, that would certainly do it for me. If I notice a shark being agitated, <laughs> I'd st- I'm out of there. Um, you have, yeah. uh, you have introduced, uh, in the almanac too. I want to mention this, the 2022 challenge to help kids celebrate, uh, our awesome oceans. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, well, it's exciting. You know, our awesome ocean challenge in the 2022 National Geographic Kids Almanac is an opportunity for kids to celebrate the ocean by sharing what's amazing about their favorite ocean animal. So they pick a a favorite ocean animal and they can either do a, a show or tell. They can either draw a picture of their favorite animal or they could write a little essay or a biography or a poem about their favorite ocean animal, or they could do both. And they submit it to National Geographic, and then the most creative visual and written pieces will be featured in next year's Almanac. So it's a chance for kids to, to get excited about it, to be creative, and to potentially be published in the next edition of the Almanac. So pretty fun stuff. And of course, to drive home uh, the point that it is so important to protect uh, our oceans and everything in them. Again, uh, Brian Scarry is one of the featured explorers in the National Geographic Kids Almanac 2022, which is out now. And where do we guide folks to learn more about the challenge, more about the Almanac? Well, the book is certainly available everywhere books are sold, so you can do it online or go to your favorite neighborhood bookseller. Um, you can also go to the National Geographic website, nationalgeographic.com. There is an almanac URL that you can navigate to through there, uh, Kids uh, Almanac, and um, all of the information will be there. But it's available now. Great summer reading, great for car trips or family trips. It's the kind of book that you you know you, you don't have to read from cover to cover, although right. you may want to, but you can pick it up and yeah. find any little tidbit that'll just suck you in. <laughs> Brian, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the one and only Bill O'Reilly will join us to talk about the latest subject of his best-selling book series, Killing the Mob. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.